Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. Our next New Testament reading today, our Gospel reading, comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter, beginning with verse number 1. Listen once again to the Word of God. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were there perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again? Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, what kind of shoes are you wearing today? I, I hope you are wearing sneakers or some kind of running shoes, for today is a day for running. I am always puzzled and thoroughly delighted when someone asks me, are you a runner? I have no athletic bone in my body whatsoever, and when I run, my legs kind of fly out to the side like a deranged chicken. And so, no, I, I don't run, but whenever I'm asked, are, are you a runner, I am, uh, well, thank you, yes, um, uh, I appreciate that. I don't run during the day, but I have been known to run at night. It began a few months after my wife and I were married. We would wake up in the morning and we would discover that some items that had been on her bedside table at night were now resting on my bedside table in the morning. And it went from there to me talking to Deb in my sleep. And it went from there to walking around the house in my sleep. And it went from there to me running around the house in my sleep. Now, at first, Deb was amused, but for some reason, that didn't last very long. For two or three times a week over the course of 15 years, when we went to bed at night, she did not know what to expect. One night, for example, she caught me going out the front door. My hand was on the handle. I had disarmed the alarm system, and I heard the voice from the bedroom, Patrick, what are you doing? Oh, um, mm. And I went back and 
crawled into bed. One of our friends later asked her, I don't remember who it was, Deb, why did you stop him? <laughs> uh, that would have been interesting, I think. Another night, I hopped up out of bed, raced over to the window, pulled up the blind, threw up the sash, and pressed my face right up against the screen. I was dreaming that my pet goat had fallen outside the window and was strangling by its leash. Now, I've never had a pet goat, and Deb was not at all amused. I, I, I discovered and realized over t time that the deeper the fear, the more overwhelming the fright, the faster I would run at night. Sometimes I dreamed that snakes were crawling underneath the bed. Deb, get up! There's a snake here! Sometimes I dreamed that there were spiders crawling on top of the bed, and I would grab the sheets and hold them like this. Sometimes what really got me moving very, very quickly was when I dreamed that something was endangering our son down the hallway, and I would get up and run down the hallway only to hear my beloved say, uh, Patrick, you're dreaming again? Go, go back to sleep. When I finally went to see a specialist, she said, Patrick, if they don't give you medication, uh, make sure they give me some, okay? <laughs> well, I did get medication and it took care of that problem, but one of the things that I discovered is that when we are afraid, when the adrenaline is moving, we can really, really run, and we can run very, very quickly. Forrest Gump, the bullies are picking on him. And what does his friend say to him? Run, Forrest, run. Fear can get us running. Has fear ever motivated you to get up and run? For example, have you ever wanted to run away from a conflict with a loved one? You didn't want to listen to what the other person had to say. You didn't really care where they were coming from. You just wanted to leave. Or have you ever been tempted to flee from despair and anxiety by running to a bottle of scotch or into the arms of another man or another woman? Have you ever been so gripped by anxiety and shame, the fear that you just don't measure up, that you aren't good enough, that you've wanted to run away from everyone and everything? Or have you ever feared loneliness so much that you ran into in an abusive and demeaning relationship? Fear can get us running. Do you think Jesus' disciples knew anything about fear? What did they do on the night that he was arrested? The soldiers came, they arrested him, and the disciples did what? They fled. Mark puts it this way, all of them deserted him and fled. A certain young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen cloth. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth, and guess what? He ran off naked. Are you tired of running? Are you tired of running away from something that frightens you? Are you tired of running scared? Are you tired of running on empty? If so, my friends, Easter is for you. It's early dawn, and several of the women have gone to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with spices. When they get there, they are shocked to discover that the stone has already been moved away. Suddenly, several men appear. They are wearing clothes dazzling with the brilliance of the sun. They bow down. They ask the women, why are you looking for the living among the dead? 
He's been raised. As he told you. Remember what he told you? And they went and told the disciples, the apostles, that they were women, the apostles were men, and the apostles just disregarded them. Uh, they're, they're women. It's an idle tale. All except for Peter. It's always Peter. Luke tells us that Peter ran to the tomb. In Luke's gospel, people always seem to be running. Do you remember the night that Jesus was born? The angels appeared to the shepherds, and the shepherds went to visit Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger, and they went, do you remember the old King James Version? They went with great haste. They were running. Or do you remember the time that Jesus was visiting a village opposite shore of the Sea of Galilee? This man was deranged with evil spirits. He was screaming, he was shouting. Jesus cast out those evil spirits. They went into a, sw a herd of swine. The swine drowned themselves in the lake. Do you remember then what the swine herds did? Luke says they ran. They ran back to the village and they told everyone what they had heard and seen. Or do you remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector in Jericho, the most hated man in the city. He colluded with Rome, but he had heard that this itinerant rabbi by the name of Jesus was coming to visit. This strange teacher who somehow opened up his arms and embraced everyone. Luke tells us, guess what Luke tells us? Luke tells us that he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore so that he could see Jesus. Uh, what kind of shoes are you wearing today? In the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? We see three rather dim-witted convicts on the run in Mississippi. This takes place during the Great Depression. They run away from the chain gang as fast as their legs will take them, and after narrowly escaping another capture, they regroup in the woods. Everett is disappointed because he doesn't have the right hair gel. Delmar holds a skewered gopher in his hand, cooked medium rare. And um, Everett, uh, Pete is just angry that Everett stole his cousin's watch. And so they're talking and griping with one another. And suddenly they are surrounded by dozens and dozens of men and women in long, flowing, white robes. And they're singing about the power of prayer. And they are spellbound for a moment. And they watch these people in these long, white robes. And they begin to follow them. And they follow all these people down to the river. And there, they are being baptized. They form two long lines, and one by one they go into the river, and the preacher puts his hand over the person's face, baptizes them deep into the water, and then brings them back up. Now, Pete and Everett are looking somewhat puzzled, like, what, what in the world is going on? But Delmar is fascinated. He is spellbound. He starts shifting his weight back and forth on his feet. He has this look of yearning, hunger, and delight on his face. Suddenly, he takes his hat off, sticks it, sticks it in Pete's hands, and he runs into the river. He runs towards the preacher. He runs towards Easter. The preacher baptizes him.
and he goes back to his friends and he says, well, that's it, boys. I've been redeemed. The preacher done washed away all my sins and transgressions. It's the straight and narrow from here on out. And heaven everlasting is my reward. Everett quips, what are you talking about? Delmar continues, the preacher said that all my sins are washed away, including that Piggly Wiggly I knocked over. Everett says, I thought you was clear of those charges. You said you was innocent. Well, I was lying. But the preacher says, I've been forgiven of that sin too. And then he yells out, come on in, boys. The water is fine. That, that's a beautiful invitation. Because the water is fine. The water of grace, the water of new life, the water of resurrection power. What kind of shoes are you wearing today? I, I hope you're wearing shoes that are fit for running because Easter is a day for running. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Easter means that God's love is greater than all the powers of evil and darkness and destruction on the face of this earth. Easter means that God is coming to embrace you and that nothing can stop God from reaching you and holding you. Easter means that God is running towards us. Do you recall the parable of the prodigal son? The younger son says to his father, give me my inheritance, which was the same as saying, I wish you were dead. The father gives the younger son the inheritance. The younger son goes and squanders it all in loose living. He's starving, he's broke, he's desperate. He thinks to himself, well, if I go back to my father, maybe he will hire me as a hired hand. He goes back. But then listen to how Jesus tells the story. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and filled with compassion, he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. I hope we are wearing running shoes today, my friends, because Jesus is wearing sneakers. And God is running towards you wherever you are right now. Wherever you might want to be hiding, whatever fear has motivated you to flee, whatever challenge you might be facing, no matter the depths of the despair in your heart, God is running towards you. And not even a public execution can keep God away from you. In 865 shows spanning 31 years, Fred Rogers touched the lives of thousands upon thousands of children. He offered hope. He offered love. He offered life. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I miss Mr. Rogers. He was a Christian, you know minister ordained in the Presbyterian Church. He was not a TV personality at all. He was a servant of Christ. He wanted to communicate God's love to boys and to girls. Do any of you know off the top of your head how much Mr. Rogers weighed? Well, I'm rather surprised at that. Um, Mr. Rogers weighed 143 pounds. 
And he often told people, that's wonderful, isn't it? 143. He says that symbolizes, I love you. I, one, love for you. Three, I love you. And he just delighted and giggled over that. A group of ophthalmologists once asked Mr. Rogers to write a chapter in a book they were preparing. They were aware that children, boys and girls, can often be afraid when they go to an eye doctor. They asked for a chapter. He replied with one sentence. He said, you were children once, too. There was one boy, don't know his name. He didn't like himself, even though it wasn't his fault. He had cerebral palsy. He could think, but he couldn't control his body. He couldn't walk, he couldn't talk. And the people entrusted to his care treated him very, very badly. You must be a bad little boy, because only a bad little boy would have this to deal with. It was awful. He was so nervous and so miserable that he sometimes would hit himself. He said he wanted to die. He didn't want to live anymore. And even when he was 14 years old, he continued to watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. A foundation set up a meeting between the two. And the little boy was so nervous, so frightened, that he began hating himself again and trying to hit his own body. His mother took him into another room to comfort him. And when they went back out, they met Mr. Rogers. Fred Rogers was a very, very busy man. He was particularly busy that day, but he waited patiently for the boy. He went up to the little boy and he said, I would like you to do something for me. Would you do something for me? And the little boy typed out on his computer, yes, of course. And then Mr. Rogers said, would you pray for me? And the boy was amazed. He didn't know how to respond. No one had ever asked him to do anything for anyone else. The boy had always been prayed for, the object of prayer. And now he's being asked to pray for Mr. Rogers, and although he didn't know if he could do it, he didn't know how to do it, he said he would try. And from that day on, he kept Mr. Rogers in his prayers. He figured that God, uh, God was close to Mr. Rogers, and if Mr. Rogers liked him, maybe, maybe God liked him too. A reporter writing an essay on Fred Rogers later commented to him, wow, that was really special what you did. He complimented Mr. Rogers on being so smart for knowing that if he asked the boy to pray for him that it would make the boy feel better about himself. But then Mr. Rogers responded with absolute surprise and puzzlement and said, oh, Tom, uh, it was the writer Tom Juno. oh, Tom, Tom, no, no, heavens, no. I didn't ask for his prayers for him. I asked for me. I asked him because I think that anyone who has gone through the challenges that he has must be close to God. I asked him because I wanted his intercession. What kind of shoes did Mr. Rogers wear? At the beginning of every episode, he would take off his dress shoes and put on his sneakers. When you're wearing sneakers, you can run to Jesus. When you're wearing sneakers and you see God running to you, you can be compassionate 
and joyful. There'll be an extra bounce in your step. You can reach out to people and say, would you please pray for me? When you're wearing Easter seat sneakers and you see that God is racing towards you with his arms open wide, you will know. You will know that you are cherished and that you are loved. And eventually you too might want to put on your sneakers and run out into the world to love others. And perhaps some of you will do that. Perhaps some of you will put on your sneakers and rush out to tell other people about this amazing God who conquers death and comes back to embrace us and love us and set things right in this broken world. But you don't have to do it today. Today, today is enough to know that Christ is risen. And today it is enough to know that God has sneakers. And God is running towards you with arms open wide. Amen.